Hi, Allison. Hi, Michael. And welcome, everyone, to Dean's Discuss COVID-19. This is our weekly podcast in which we dive into the, the research and what's going on here at UC Davis with both the College of uh, the School of Medicine as well as the School of Veterinary Medicine. Yes, there's lots to talk about, about how COVID-19 has affected our research, our medical communities, Zoom meetings, PPE, social distancing, and physician and healthcare burnout, uh, and what we're doing to combat it. This should be good because all of us uh, are seeing the effects across the spectrum of all of our uh, frontline healthcare workers to our students. And, you know, uh, everybody in our society and around the world knows that this pandemic has affected all of our lives and, and it's affected all of our programs. And so we might want to delve into a little bit about our universities, our research programs, our clinics, you know, how did it, how did it really change? You know, thinking about what was, what were we doing in January? And then how did that change once March came? Uh, and, and, and then some of the things we're seeing today. So I'm going to let you start out, Allison, because you were, uh, and your teams were on the very first case, I understand, in Northern California. That's right. It was the very first case. It was on uh, February 26th that we were notified that we had the first community acquired case in the country. Um, that just uh, uh, lit up the ideas about all that we needed to do. And so we marshaled group, uh, many, many people together and uh, turned around trials in five days and developed a test and um, had to work through PPE and masking, uh, students were taken out of rotations, and then nationally things just exploded. Uh, so, you know, I think that it's been um, uh, something that we haven't really appreciated, the effect. So the effect on all of our lives. So just uh, yesterday, Governor Newsom said everybody who is out in a meeting, whether it's indoors, um, outdoors, needs to wear a mask. You and I should have masks on. Um, I know you have a wonderful one there. I brought one. So yes. here we go. Uh, so I'm just, it's a good way to advertise your business as well. So uh, Allison, I have, uh, I have one that has, I think it's your dog is represented here someplace, right? Yes, my beagle and my border collie there, there represented. So, I love yeah. that mask. I think I've just got paper. Um, but, uh, you know, um, so... First of all, you know, our frontline workers, I mean, I just can't thank them enough. The people in the emergency room who were the first to deal with this and, um, and then the nurses and the doctors and the residents and everybody, you know, it really impacted every single person in the hospital and really every single person in all of our communities uh, who care for people. I can remember, um, you know, uh, they put all the patients in one unit uh, so that they could try to keep that unit and figure out how to take care of people. And so now we've actually kind of come out the other side, although we're seeing a little bit of a blip, but people are pretty tired um, mm -hmm. and um, everything is still changed. So we all do meetings with Zoom. We have masks. We're monitoring um, our ability to do testing. So um, I think we're gonna need to be very mindful about burnout. I know that Dr. Helen Kales, our chair of psychiatry has been 
really wonderful. Mm -hmm. She's worked with the chairs and departments and hospitals on ways to uh, deal with anxiety. It's kind of scary to come to a work where there's a virus. It really is. And, and, you know, as you were describing that first patient as it, you know, that community uh, spread, it sent ripple effects throughout the entire university as it did the entire um, region and, uh, of course, the country. One of the interesting things about that is what we tried to do is, is, to, is to respond in a positive way. One of the immediate things was supplies, of course. And so what I was really um, you know, happy to see is the community come forth with uh, providing supplies. So we donated, for example, extra masks and PPE equipment. Uh, we inventoried all the ventilators expecting the very worst. And, you know, so that was a very and the positive. Yeah. Did we give you your, your, your dog and the cat ventilators back? Yeah, yeah, I, well, I think so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and and that, that was really refreshing to see that. It was incredible. Was and then the dedication, as you mentioned, of all the frontline healthcare workers. And, you know, the other thing that was rippling uh, was um, we were still in uh, class and all of the curriculum uh, not only on campus, but within our schools. So our students had had to finish up. We talked about that on an earlier episode of how we had to change everything. That brought on, um, of course, a lot of uh, uh, extra work for our faculty, uh, our students, um, everything from testing to, um, you know, how do they do their classes online? But what was really uh, a side effect of that is the added stress, as you mentioned, because you could feel the stress among the faculty. You could feel the stress uh, because they had to ramp up very quickly. They had to take a course that they would normally deliver in a lecture and then switch that to online. And so we relied upon a lot of technology to, to capture the lectures. Fortunately, we had a lot of systems in place to do that and then allowed those to be relatively smoothly uh, transitioned. What was more difficult, of course, was any lab work, any yeah. clinical work. Uh, and you know that stress, uh, you could tell, uh, was getting to people. And then as you mentioned, our life on Zoom, which it seems like, I don't know how many hours you were spending today, but uh, at, at least half of our day seems like we're talking to a camera on Zoom. And that's just not normal human interactions. I, and, well, and so what, what's going on there? You know, I, psychological I effects. I, I'm a neurologist, so I am not sure, but I do think it takes a lot more work to do Zoom to pay attention. I think um, it really probably uses different parts of your brain. Uh, and the other thing is um, you don't get that interpersonal relationship, right? Uh, there's no more handshaking, no more hugging, yeah. uh, everybody's standing far apart. And of course, that's what we want. Uh, but part of, uh, of being in an academic health system is, is those relationships, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those are really uh, key. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, it, this is kind of a new normal. For a while, I think we thought, oh, this is going to just pass. But boy, you know, you go home at night and you turn on the, the news and you realize uh, other states are hot. Uh, California is heating back up. Uh, it's not going to pass. And so we're going to have to think about all of those new ways. Now, the good thing is 
uh, telemedicine, for example, I don't think we'll ever go back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, lots of things can be done with telemedicine, huge research in telemedicine, you know, seeing research patients. And uh, for you, I can imagine there's probably some telemedicine. Uh, I could sh uh, hold up my little beagle and you could look at her and see exactly um, yeah. what she's up to. You're but, yeah. but, you know, um, I do think I worry about the pace of things. Um, you know, you mentioned the lectures, you mentioned, um, it used to be the pace was a little bit slower and now, um, you've got the intensity of taking care of these very sick patients in a disease we know very little about, uh, who get sick very quickly. And then you have all of these changes with, uh, PPE and masks and, temperature taking and Zoom and, and all of that. Um, I think as leaders, we're gonna need to figure out how to recognize people, how to rebuild communities when you don't have a community of people being side by side. It's, yeah. uh, it's really, it's really um, a little daunting to think about sometimes. Yeah, I know both of our campuses, you know, we had mental health and wellness uh, yes. for our students and our staff and our faculty. And we've invested a lot in that over the last number of years because we know that our medical students, our veterinary students are under a lot of stress anyway. So we had developed a lot of that, but we were not expecting a pandemic to change our lives as rapidly. So we're seeing things, for example, disruptions of sleep patterns, you know, because we are on Zoom a lot or we, that chronic stress, it catches up with you. One of the things we talk about a lot is taking breaks, um, having our students um, turn the TV off for a while or yeah. turn the social media off for a while. And, um, and I see a lot of resources now that are specifically being targeted. It's not like these problems weren't there, but a pandemic really brings them out in a more visible fashion. So for example, if you were suffering from mild depression and now you're socially isolated, on top of that, you know, those exacerbate those pre-existing conditions even further. So I think you're correct. I think one thing that we have to do as leaders, in addition to developing those resources, you know, for support for our students and our faculty and our frontline healthcare workers, but also um, think about new ways um, that we can help them uh, so that they can uh, seek help faster or be identified uh, more quickly uh, because we do know that this is gonna add to that stress, that sleep loss, that uh, another big stress, which I know you're facing with your faculty, I know I'm facing with my faculty is Families, yes. you know, families Child that have care. children at home. Yeah, yeah. Do you have that problem? And what do you? What are some things that you're trying to think about related? So to early on, we um, we worked on providing childcare, um, but the problem really wasn't childcare because no one wanted to take their children to daycare, even if you had it because of the virus. So I think it's really um, part of the solution is telecommuting for people who don't have to be here. Um, if you're working on a computer all day and doing billing or things, could you do that at home? Mm -hmm. um, you could also then think about flexible work hours for people because the, you know, if you think about it, the schools aren't open, the daycares are just now reopening. 
everybody's very concerned. Now we have children getting this um, autoimmune disease from the virus. So I think, you know, it's really a very stressful time to be a parent. Um, I have college age student, you know, children that came home from the East Coast. Um, mm -hmm. And um, I know that's stressful because you worry about them. I can't imagine having little kids and working and being a nurse or a doctor or resident working in a hospital. Um, and you know, you hear stories about the folks who work in the emergency room, the front line, and um, our chair of emergency medicine, Nate Cooperman, has been very um, proactive about making sure that people don't get complacent because if things tick up, the first place they're gonna be coming when they're rarely sick is in the emergency room. And we wanna make sure that it's safe for our, our employees as well as safe for our patients. So, yeah. um, you know, I just think it's a new normal and uh, you know, it's, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be a while. One of the um, uh, groups that are especially affected and disproportionately affected is those that are uh, on the front lines, but also don't have the means. So, you know, we know the social injustice of, of COVID has disproportionately affected, uh, you know, African-Americans, uh, others that are, you know, not have the ability perhaps uh, if their jobs, uh, they have to go to work, uh, but then they may not have uh, healthcare. And so they're caught in a bind. So it's doubly affected. Uh, so our, our society, uh, those that, that don't have uh, the luxury of having uh, health insurance unless it's tied to work, the higher unemployment, um, the number of people that are off unemployment, that's gonna add an additional layer of stress. So we know this is coming. We can anticipate mental health and uh, other issues, domestic violence, um, you know, from people that are at home and they can't escape their abusers. You know, these are things that we're starting to see which were predictable once we went into that lockdown phase. And so one of the things as leaders I know that you're very conscious of and, and we really think about is what are all the resources that we can bring to bear to help our populations you know, that we're responsible for within a university. So we've been accumulating those. I know you have as well resources. I know the university has. So on our website, for example, there are resources that range from CDC resources to uh, how to handle racial tension in our, in our days in which we're having social disruptions. These are all things that we need to help. Uh, we need to talk about it. Uh, we need to make it available. Uh, and we're trying to find resources to help fund it as well. I know that's, that's important uh, at the medical school as well. Oh, absolutely. And we're really reaching out to our communities, particularly our communities around us, and in terms of just some things like testing and nursing homes, um, making sure that people get the health care they need. Um, you know, we have patients who have deferred care, uh, which is terrible if you have hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, you know, um, when you don't go to the doctor because suddenly you don't, you're worried about your copay or you lost your insurance or you can't get there or you're afraid, um, you're gonna not be as healthy as you could be. And so it's not just COVID, it's the impact on our entire community. And so um, I think as leaders, you know, we're just, it's just the tip of the iceberg. It was interesting today that now um, the NIH is actually funding uh, a couple initiatives on kind of social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. And I think those are incredibly important because um, 
I think that the impact of this is going to be with us for a long time. You know, I know you trained in the time of HIV and that was some of your initial work. I did my um, uh, medical school and residency in neurology during that time. And, um, you know, it took, it, it just took years and years, basically our entire career for uh, the world to get a handle on that and come up with treatments and things and be in the good place that we are now, things that students would never believe if we told them stories. And I, um, I think that that's going to be the way it is with COVID. You know, we have a new class of medical students. They start in a couple of weeks uh, and they um, are 128 new medical students. And it's a scary time to start medical school. It's an exciting time to start medical school. And there's so much to learn. It's kind of like building the airplane while you're flying it, right? Um, it really is, yeah. Um, um, but, but their lives are going to be uh, really changed forever. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, you know, having gone through 9-11 and how our life changed yes. after that. It feels like that. You know, one of the things that we've seen also is an appreciation of the human-animal bond. Um, you know, people, uh, when, they, when they were home in isolation, their pets became very much a comfort to them. And we've seen a lot of uh, interesting effects of that socially. For example, there was a, uh, an increase adoption rate of shelters. Yes. Uh, and that was wonderful to see. That was a an effect uh, upon people that needed that uh, extra um, unconditional love uh, that humans uh, need from animals and their pets, and they, they derived it. Now, in, in the case of my cats, they're wondering why I didn't go back to work. So that <laughs> disrupted their sleep patterns in a different way. So instead of sleeping 18 hours a day, they only sleep uh, 16 hours a day now. But, uh, you know, I, I think that you are absolutely correct. The other thing that you mentioned was you know, this is not going to uh, go away uh, tomorrow. It isn't uh, I, the, the new normal. And we did have to adjust and we have adjusted, um, but we will expect more disruption. One of the things I tell our students is that, you know, one of the things that these opportunities bring up is the opportunity to express resilience. And our students are amazingly resilient. Our faculty and our staff have been resilient uh, from the frontline healthcare workers all the way through to those that teach. And um, that resilience has carried us through this. And um, I've been very impressed with how the university has responded, how all of our people have responded. And, but it's not gonna be uh, a simple, it'll be done by the end of the summer. This, we may face um, this as a continuum. Yes, and, and you know, uh, Michael, this has been just such a great discussion. I have a question for you. Do you think we're prepared for the second wave of this virus? That's a great question, uh, Allison. You know, we'll look at this next week because it isn't going to go away anytime soon as we discussed. So please join us for a robust discussion on the second wave of COVID-19 COVID and what we're gonna be doing to get ready for it. And I'm Allison Brashear, the Dean of the UC Davis School of Medicine. And I'm Michael Lairmore, Dean of the School of Veterinary Medicine, and you've been listening to Dean's Discuss COVID-19 podcast. Be sure uh, to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. 
And we welcome your questions, your ideas on topics for future episodes. You can email us at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. And in the meantime, you can visit ucdavis.edu backslash COVID-19 for the latest coronavirus. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>